0: This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In podcast network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. And we're back. Uh, you of course are still listening to the Asian Cinema Film Club. If you haven't done already, uh, as we said in the first half, you know please do hit the like and subscribe buttons on automatic or iTunes, Spotify, wherever you happen to be leaving to us. And you know leave us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you can also connect with us on both on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, we always love to hear from yourselves. And uh, we're also on Instagram as well, where we post fun clips and screenshots from uh, Asian Cinema. So definitely uh there's no one uh get involved for the show we always uh love to hear your feedback so um tonight we are of course though talking about the wailing this is a film which is i think it's really become a bit of a cool favorite in especially in circles of of the asian cinema bands. uh since it's come out and for one reason or another it's taken me till now to watch it um for those not obviously familiar with the film uh It basically is a South Korean horror film directed by Na Hong Jin, uh, released in... Oh, when was this released, Stephen? Um,
1: 2016, I think.
0: Yes, this is 2016. Um, Basically, we have this police officer called Jong-gu, who is investigating this mysterious murder outbreaks that are happening in the local village. Um, And from there, he gets caught up in this whole... Situation: We're involved in ghosts and demons and all sorts of uh, manner of weird and wonderful things, which we will be getting into. So, um, I'm going to say there will be some spoilers throughout this podcast. We will try to limit them where we can, but I think to really get into it, we are going to have to spoil some things. So, if you haven't watched it already, you know, please, you know, go out watch it and then come back to this, or uh, you know, risk uh, having something spoiled for yourself. But this, I. So opening thoughts on this one, I mean, are we going into this? I mean, you two have both obviously seen it before. Were you going into this sort of repeat viewing as fans, or was it sort of one of the things you were sort of like one and done with it?
2: Well, I went into it already being um, I'd heard very good things of it before I'd seen it. And everyone that had recommended it generally has quite a good taste in movies and especially um, Asian cinema. So I almost went into it ready to absolutely love it. Uh, The only thing that put me off at first was probably the run time. uh, Because, you know, especially for a horror film, I find that running over an hour and a half, they can struggle to become something quite... um, Quite good, but actually, the wailing is one film that I felt that it didn't drag at all, which I was surprised at.
0: Okay, Stephen.
2: Yeah, so
1: I when I first came to it, I think a few people over on Eastern Kicks had sort of said, "Oh, the wailing, the wailing, you need to check that out." But it wasn't, um, it wasn't. uh, I guess I I was fairly early to the party. Um, now, two things. One is, you know, I'm quite well documented in that I hate films that run over 90 minutes, or don't hate, but to earn even two hours, you've got to be darn good. And to earn 156 minutes is something. And that one thing I will say is that I watched it and then I had to write a review about it as soon as it had finished. That's how much I was impressed by it. it just, It just inspired me. And that very rarely happens. Normally I... Wait for a couple of days and chew on it a bit, or might write some notes, but nothing. But I literally wrote the review within moments of it coming down because it just impressed me so much. And then watching again this time, I felt validated.
0: Okay, um, certainly. I mean, this is film is from the same director of the Chaser and the Yellow Sea. Um, the Chaser certainly a film that has been very popular amongst. Again, through uh, Asian cinema fans, it's sort of really gone to have a bit of good status. People wanted to put it alongside the likes of Old Boy. Um, the Yellow scene, not so much. It seems sort of like came out and then sort of, sort of sunk beneath the surface, and now The whaling. Again, this is sort of film that a lot of people wanted to talk about. I think the fact that it's on Netflix has certainly helped it get a lot more recognition, especially being an Asian cinema. Type, I think now, when I look at Netflix and I see they're just really pushing like low Asian drama, the Put the picking up a lot of uh, films as well, uh, one of which we will be talking about in our next episode, but we'll talk about that a bit later. And Certainly with The Wailing, I think it's it's such a, a brave choice for a company like Netflix to pick up, because it's not a straightforward horror. This is one that you really got to sort of put some thought into, and it really takes its time to get going, uh, to say the least. I mean, this is you get sort of hints and splashes of bits and pieces in that first hour, but it's really once we get into the second hour that things sort of get going for this, this film. Um, I mean, do you sort of struggle at all with that opening hour at all, or was it just sort of like you were hooked straight from the beginning?
2: I don't... I, don't, I feel like the opening hour is actually very strong, in it, and it is quite slow, um And actually, we were speaking about slow movies the other day and a couple of them are saying, oh, you know, it's it's almost too slow. But generally, I I have quite a a love for slow movies. And I think what The Wailing does exceptionally well in the first hour is build this really nerve wracking tension that you almost need. It's like a sense of dread that goes on for such a long time that you feel very anxious and I think then by the time that you've gotten past that hour you you know that something is coming um, and you've kind of been set up in a very slow way to feel even more anxious than if it was just kind of happening immediately um, I think that's something that the whaling does so well is just brings that tension to the film Um, and I think that's one of the aspects of it that I enjoyed the most is that I felt very anxious and almost quite distressed because nothing was happening but at the same time it is it just is taking a long time to fully play out. I don't know what you guys thought about the about the slow build. So,
1: so for me, actually, the, sort of the opening of the film it reminded me a lot of um, Memories of Murder. So I thought, oh, because I didn't know it was a horror film when I first saw it. So I thought, oh, this is going to be a, a sort of a serial killer film or something like that in Backwards Career, and it, and it felt very much like that. And but then, but then it became, is it a, a, is it a serial killer film? Is it a film about some kind of infection that's going on? Is it a film about? Ghosts? Is it a film about a real, just a murderous man who's living in the woods, or is it eventually going to be some kind of treatise on the various conflicts of different religions that happen in Korea? And I, I, I didn't really think it was slow. I just thought it was exploring lots of different places, and that's sort of the ride I went on. Um, in, in almost a almost a classic Korean cinema way, you know, it, genre shifted quite a lot, but it, I just. I, I was hooked all the way along where I was being pointed in these different directions.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, when I first came to this, I thought going into this, this was a ghost story. Um, certainly the name would seem to indicate, you know, it sounds like something that we, you would call a ghost story. And instead, I mean, we've got, we go in, we've got introduced obviously to this, police officer who are following now, uh, John Goo. Um I love the fact he's called, he knows he's going to attend a murder, but you know, He makes time for breakfast before he goes to attend a murder scene. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's police procedure or not, but surely you get your breakfast in doesn't take priority over attending a murder scene. Um, And then we obviously, once we've got that that really bloody murder scene, and this is something I really love about the film, all the murder scenes in it, they're they're almost like autistic, just the sheer amount of splatter that's actually included. I mean, you've got whole rooms that are basically painting crimson in in moments of this film. And there's certainly the aftermath of some of these murders that take place in the film. A lot of them we don't actually see. They're just, we catch the aftermath of it. And they're they're very pretty to look at. Um, And from this scene, we're now going to a strange Japanese man in the woods with glowing red eyes, which is, again, very creepy, uh, eating a deer. And I wasn't sure what the sort of Climate is between Korea and Japan, and whether it's like Japan and Hong Kong, where it's always like the evil Japanese. I mean, how do Korean audiences tend to view the Japanese?
1: Okay, so I guess this is one for me, right?
0: <laughs> well, if so, no, Zoe wants to jump, jump in with political, uh, <laughs> then she's more than welcome.
1: <laughs> so, okay, so the Japanese, you could. Pretty much by default, say any country in Asia hates the Japanese because of what they were like pre World War Two. So they were very imperialistic, took over lots of countries, and I mean, Korea has a storied history of trying to protect itself from uh, the Chinese and so on. But the Japanese, especially, and during the um, during the Second World War, Korea was. Um, invaded and taken over by japan so korea are very very anti-japanese so this again is another interesting film thing was sorry get my teeth back in an interesting thing the film was doing is making you think are all the koreans blaming the japanese fella because he's a japanese fella and they don't like japanese people they don't like strangers they don't especially don't like the japanese or is actually there's something to it so it it's it's it, again, it's this, these layers in this movie. It's it's using sort of socio-economic, socio-political ideas to make you think. Oh, maybe there isn't something going on here that's supernatural, or maybe there is. And so yeah. So basically, in Korea, Japanese bad. Although ironically, they do love Japanese culture. Their modern pop culture. So go figure. That's
0: certainly a uh, unique. A unique blend, blend of uh, opinion. Then, if you obviously like Japan for one thing, but hate them for something else completely, but um,
1: I think I think it's a generational thing, isn't it? So, if you grew up with memories of the Second World War, or your parents did at the very least, then you'll have a very different view of Japanese people than people who were like two generations, three generations on from there, who only know Japanese people from fun adverts and catchy pop music. So.
0: Um. <laughs> I mean, certainly another aspect to this film is that, that really caught me off guard is the fact that so much of it is reliant on sort of old traditions and old customs. I mean, the the actual the officer, I mean, he gets involved with like a, the local shaman and there's obviously scenes sort of them trying to perform like an almost sort of like exorcism on uh, his daughter, who he believes has been possessed um, as and has caught this sort of disease that's caused everyone to go sort of crazy so it kind of surprised me the fact there's so much mysticism in this film and I wouldn't expect it especially from a Korean film um normally I would sort of associate if we're doing like mysticism would be something like Hong Kong um or to an extent so sort of like Japanese cinema but I've never seen mysticism play such a strong part as it does in this film um I mean how do we all find the sort of mystical sort of elements of this I mean there is a scene where we obviously have the exorcism sort of sequence and there's lots of uh singing and dancing around and uh other interesting things going on there.
1: Yeah, it's not a good place if you're a chicken, is it? Um
0: <laughs> So I'll just give the I'll give the facts, right? And then I'll let
1: I'll sort of respond as a, how it get, got to us viscerally. Um so Korea has a really interesting um makeup of religions so whereas you can look at other countries in Asia and you can say yeah that's a Buddhist country or Japanese is Shinto and things like that Korea has this sort of three opposing religions so Buddhism obviously has its place there um, and that that, has its that kind of backs up the society with a Confucian based society but just like in Africa the old Catholics got in there and um, Catholicism is also very very big um and that's why if you go to america and you go to any large city in america you see these gigantic churches with korean writing on the side because the korean roman catholic church is a big deal so it's about a third are roman catholics third are buddhists but a third and maybe more do not prescribe to a religion because they believe in animism and shamanism which is what's displayed in this movie so i thought that was fascinating because it did it drew on all those levels. Because we have the priest, don't we, who we haven't spoken about yet, who's representing that, that element of um, Korean religion. And there's this lovely bit quite early on. Is it his mother-in-law? I think he, I think it's the mother of his wife, isn't it? Of the policeman's yeah. wife says, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a shaman in. And you just thought in any other movie, the policeman would go, oh, don't be silly. You don't get a shaman in. That's old school. He just said, yeah, all right. Yeah. And, and it just sort of showed you how how interconnected all those religions are in certainly in non-urban Korea, which I just thought was really interesting, not something you see very often.
2: I don't, I mean, I don't know much about um, Korean culture and religion and and mythical things and, and all of those things, but it seems um, like what I was saying earlier a bit about kind of, you know, like, Asian countries in general, it seems very logical. Uh, and and in The whaling, it doesn't seem out of, like you were saying, it doesn't seem out of place for them to go ahead and do all these kind of weird things like call on the shaman. Um, it's it's not something that I was like, oh, well, that's a bit weird that they're doing that. It almost felt like that would be the most logical thing to do. I mean, if the film was set, in like London of course if you called a shaman it would be like okay you know no one no one would understand what's going on it wouldn't make any sense but i do really feel like and maybe it's coming from a a western viewpoint of asian countries which it could completely be a very ignorant kind of uneducated view but i feel like you know they are a lot more religious and they even if they don't, like you said, Stephen, necessarily, not all of them do play into that. It seems like that's what I would think that they would be doing in that kind of situation. So when they do go ahead and, and call the shaman and, and do all the strange ritual and things, it it seemed to be logical for the situation they were in and also, you know, um, where the, where the film was set as well.
1: Yeah and and I just thought I just thought the whole ritual that 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 shaman scene the main shaman scene was just amazing i just put the volume up high and sort of there's drums and there's noise and there's all the colors and the smoke and the drumming and then chickens getting their necks you know there's a bit of voodoo going on there i suppose in that in that kind in the in that in the animistic style. but i just i just thought that was an astonishing bit of cinema and it's the bit in the film i wish i could see in a real cinema not just on my tv
0: well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the blood element didn't really take me by surprise, because, I mean, any time you're drawing demons out, there's always blood, um, because that's what attracts demons. They need need blood sacrifice in some form or another to be attracted. So the fact that we saw it, and it really sort of highlighted the differences in sort of animal welfare between, obviously, ourselves here in, in the UK and, obviously, in Korea, because... When you see the scene where he's like buying the chickens in the market and they're like turning upside down, these are obviously real chickens and I assume that they're real chickens that they were using for the sacrifice uh, sequence and it you wouldn't be able to do that in the UK because, you know, you'd have pizza <laughs> on your ass within like five seconds of trying to shoot this stuff. And again we saw an old boy where he's eating the squid and obviously to Krino about putting across the fact that he's been in isolation for so long and he's become feral to an extent, whereas to Britain, it seems like this real shocking moment. It's all like, oh my god, he's in this, and the tentacles are going up his face, and we completely miss out. We completely lose the point and focus of it. So, it,
1: I mean, do you remember when Kim Ki Is it the aisle came out, and there's a little bit of fish is being cut up, and that's like <laughs> on a tartan. There was a huge Ferrari. Oh my god, you can't show real fish being cut, something like that. So, I, I do I don't know if they were real chickens, but they look pretty real to me.
0: I mean, I, I can't imagine, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, I suppose I'm going to get us the wrath of Peter on our show now by saying, but it is a chicken. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like an endangered species. It's an animal bred for, for slaughter. Um, well, so,
2: so, like, I eat chicken not every day, but nearly every other day. And, you know, you have to accept that every chicken that you eat is kind of, you know, killed not that nicely anyway.
0: <laughs> and yeah i mean as a, we're gonna get into the whole chicken preparation discussion now um yeah i mean it's certainly the way that these chickens are executed is a legitimate way which you can obviously um uh, you can prep chickens but it's not like they're doing anything particularly cruel, even though it does look very cinematically it looks very sort of aggressive and very sort of brutal but it is as i said it it is um one method you can obviously use, and I would certainly expect something in the more rural places to be in the way. But I want to know how they actually explained it to the actor playing the shaman. I can't remember the name of the actor, but um, just how they talked for the sequence. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to be, you know, cutting heads off chickens, and you're going to be spitting blood on blades, and it's going to be this whole crazy sequence that you're going to be uh, carrying out there because it seems like know what he was doing I, it. He certainly put across to myself that he knew what he was doing. So I just really wanted to be, wish I could have been there for the uh, discussion for planning that sequence, especially, but, um, but don't so, that- so,
1: so yeah, so that's, that's Hwang Jung Min, who's actually a really famous Korean actor. He's a real, you know, he's, he's, he's been a lot of the top box office films. Um, over the last ten fifteen years, and I think he might if he's um so he's in um, a bit of sweet life and um oh let's have a think some others um Ode to my father veteran, a violent prosecutor all big top level things so so it's quite a risky part for him i think to play for a for for a fairly mainstream actor,
0: yeah. And what did we obviously think of the our main sort of hero of sorts, our, our cop, um, played by Quack Don Woon? Because um, he comes across when his first introduced, so he's going to be like this comedic sort of element, this bumbling sort of cop. But there's so much of the time that it's like played completely straight face. So, I mean, how do we sort of take uh, the character of John Goo?
2: I love him. He's so cute.
0: <laughs>
2: he really is. And I think. Um, I think it's at the beginning the the scene where he sat with his daughter uh I can't remember what they're looking at um but he sat there with her and he he seems like a I I remember the first time I saw it I always thought he just seemed so genuine as a father that truly because I mean in a lot in a lot of films you often um you know, are given a character, and they're they're kind of a bit useless, and they're a bit kind of like maybe not that genuine, and and you don't kind of get behind them very much. And I felt when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, I was like, he he seems so nice and so sweet, and you know, he's not kind of like this tough, powerful cop. He is kind of a bit, a bit kind of like you know, he's a dad. He's a bit nerdy. He's not really kind of. What you would expect of of a big strong cop guy, I suppose, but I think it makes him feel a lot more real and a lot more genuine, and you can kind of connect with his character on a on a on a better level. Um, and I felt through the whole film, you know, I c- kind of could feel his emotions and how he's feeling towards his daughter, and you know, everything he did was just just to get the best output for her so i liked him he's cute
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i originally thought when i first saw him i thought oh my god it's like discount song kang ho i mean looks like him he's like a cheap version of him but then actually you're absolutely right you totally buy into him because yes he's a policeman but really it's that relationship with his daughter and in fact and, and and I'm guessing that's his wife that he's having sex with in the car. yes <laughs> again a lot, of, yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the relationships aren't very well drawn, but that relationship there's that, that that's they go out and he tries to buy her silence after she's caught him having sex, even though she says it's not the first time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and 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 there's like an honesty there between the two and a real relationship there, and that really worked for him because when she becomes the center of the threat later on you didn't feel, oh, he's going to do the right thing by the law because he's a policeman or a good career man or for his wife or other people. It's core about that relationship between him and his daughter, which is corrupted really early on in the film, although we don't necessarily know. And so, yeah, he's really sympathetic, but he's not your traditional leading man, is he?
0: No. And, I mean, I do wonder where the other cops were, because we know he's not the only cop out here in the sticks. Um, but you, as throughout the film he seems to be like the only cop there and you kind of you kind of get really by his sense of frustration especially when he sort of self-sabotages the, the whole exorcism scene and then assembles his own little posse to go and hunt for the, the Japanese stranger um, played by Jin Kunimura and Kunimura's role throughout this film is just absolutely fantastic because he's he's kind of nonchalant about everything. Uh, the fact that he's been accused of these things, the fact that he's being caught down the woods like uh engaging in these like, very sort of primal acts and he's very nonchalant like the whole way through the film until we get that big sort of reveal at the end. Um so I mean how what do we obviously feel when, I mean, obviously when with his sort of like progression as and how he sort of, like, uh, handles this, this sort of case, and especially in his interactions with uh, with this Japanese stranger, the fact that you know he's trying to get some sort of reaction from this stranger, and he just, he's constantly just getting knocked back, he's not getting the reaction he wants, he's not getting any sort of confession or acknowledgement of uh, being the one responsible for this, so... Well, yeah,
1: I mean, he mean goes off and basically does vigilante justice, doesn't he? Because as a policeman, yeah, absolutely, absolutely they screw it up. Um, but, but because they're out of the sticks, you don't feel normal rules are applying here. Because there just seem to be a lot of policemen I are sort of their equivalent, to the FBI turning up at the beginning, don't they? And they sort of all kind of lose interest. And it's just the guys that are basically bumbling around back backwards policemen and they say you know what let's just go and beat the guy up (laughs) and then kill somebody else altogether (laughs) it's it's just it's wonderfully bumbly
0: yeah i mean you obviously have the scene where they fight what i assume is supposed to be a zombie um and which was fun just to see someone get a rake in the head i think that was a new one for myself um and they're chasing chasing this stranger for the woods and they they lose him somehow Six guys managed to lose one Japanese guy in the woods, um, only to then hit him with the car on the way home, which I thought was so stupid. Um,
2: you know what? I kind of, I kind of. although, it, it, I mean, I completely agree, it's, it's very bumbly, um, and at times I was like, oh, they, they clearly have no idea. I actually think a lot of it comes from their fear. I think they're actually scared, you know, because... Um, they hear some tales. I think it's when they're in the restaurant. They hear tales of kind of you know this this stranger and that he has powers. Um, and one of them becomes very frightened. And then he's wearing a cross around his neck at some point. And I think actually they're they're bumbling around so much because it's almost like. You know when you you know when you see other horror movies and you you 've got the the person at the door and they 're fumbling with their keys and they 're dropping them, or actually you know we all go we shout and we scream we 're like oh you 're being idiots you 're not doing it right, but I think actually when you become so terrified of a situation which I think they are in the film is you become bumbly and you fall because you're you're kind of overwhelmed with that emotion of being terrified so you're not thinking about the most logical thing to do and therefore you end up bumbling around and for me anyway I think in the whaling that's what came across to me that okay maybe they're not the most strategic people (laughs) in the world um However, I think it comes from their their sense of true fear of the situation that's at hand and that's why they end up bumbling around so much.
1: Oh absolutely, because remember the beginning about the about the religion and way and the way that the, the shaman animistic side of it, the the, the non traditional organized religion side. It's a real thing for them, you know? Yeah. They don't bat an eyelid about getting a shaman because they believe in the shit. They think he really could be a demon. They think he really is out there eating raw deer and doing bad stuff. So why wouldn't you act in that way, in a way that isn't modern and urbane, but more irrational and mob-centred? And I think that's, again, I think it's the strength of the film. No one sits there and says, oh, don't be silly, that's ridiculous, that wouldn't happen in the real world. They, you know, these, these guys don't question their belief yeah. in in what could possibly be
2: going on. I think that's the greatest thing is that every single thing, it's not like, you know, all those other movies where you're like, oh, here we go again. There's just fallen over in the woods, you know, for fuck's sake. And you get really frustrated, which, I mean, I do it all the time, even though I, I am the clumsiest person when there's nothing terrifying happening. Um, but in this film, it it just seems genuine. Like, you, you feel scared for them, and then you're like, yeah, well, I completely understand why just like, you know, running amok, being like, (laughs) like you said, that scene in the woods where they're trying to catch the guy. It's it's almost funny in one sense, but at the same time, it's like you're laughing because you're scared of what's going to happen. So...
1: Not as funny, though, as the guy who said, oh, I'm going to get struck by lightning and get struck by lightning one second (laughs) later. (laughs) <laughs> which is which is a bizarrely comedic bit of the film with this.
2: <laughs> yeah, I like that they added uh, like random funny bits. I mean, it was that was pretty strange. I think okay. the
1: guy died. I mean, it wasn't as if. It was... <laughs> yeah, no,
2: it's quite serious
1: in the end. <laughs> it was, it was, but it was hilarious how it happened, and and physically impossible. <laughs> in terms of physics for him to be struck by lightning where he was but I guess that was kind of the point you know and that's what took them to the hospital to find another guy who was infected blah blah blah
0: cool um I think I think we're I, I don't know if there's anything else in this sort may of main meat of this this film but um I think we should just now uh, talk about the finale Okay. yes okay um now, once we get to the end of this film, I mean, this film just, we have these, obviously, hints of mysticism throughout, and then we get to the end, and it's sort of like, oh, sort of traditional logic goes out the window, and they just really go down this mythical path. Um, did you feel kind of cheated in any way, the fact that the outcome is one that's based in mysticism rather than sort of traditional science, so to speak?
2: um no i didn't actually i think that the outcome makes sense and i i i mean i don't think i didn't see it coming actually i didn't you know because the whole way through the film were shown that it is the stranger and there are kind of like small breadcrumbs lof- left along the way um to insist that it is the daughter um, that's kind of the possessed one. So, you know, like there's the shoe that's found at the beginning of the film. Um, so there's those breadcrumbs. But I think at the same time is you almost get dragged into um, the the hope that you don't want it to be her yeah. um, and that you don't want her to be because you see how hard he's fighting to rescue her from the threat of the stranger. And so you're kind of like very emotionally invested. And in the back of your mind, you feel like you know that it could be her. And there's definitely something, you know, she's either going to die with the, you know, something's happening to her. But I think as well, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, maybe it won't. Maybe he's going to save the day because he's tried so hard and then when it comes, I still think it has a bit of a shock factor to it. And obviously, everything that she does <laughs> in those parts kind of add to it. But for me, I still felt that, that I was still kind of like, oh, no, I was like, this was not the outcome I wanted.
1: I remember when I watched it the first time and I had to go off to the Internet right, for the first time since I saw Donnie Darko to try and work out actually what was going on. 'Cause I thought, well that didn't happen to it. Because actually it's incredibly straightforward. And I was thinking, no, I've missed something because everything you've said in this film, Director, you've just you've just given to us. You weren't lying to us at any step of the way. You've given us, you know, that the Japanese guy's a devil, the, the shaman's in league with him, that mysterious girl is actually for the force of good, but you've got to have faith in her and stuff like that. The little girl is possessed. Now all these things were as they said they were and um i found that really refreshing normally there's a twist isn't there and at this time yeah. the twist was there ain't no twist mm-hmm. ain't no happy ending
2: yeah yeah exactly it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that it was like a big reveal you know it was like the mother-in-law or someone random it was you you knew it was coming you didn't want it to come so you kind of pushed it back and then it was like it was just kind of like a a release really, i found it a bit sad you know oh it it's like,
1: terribly sad at yeah. the end isn't it I yeah mean, very it's, sad uh, but you know but they didn't lie you know the, the japanese fella in the first... No, the second... So he opens the film, doesn't he? But then we see the scene where he sort of comes up to the camera quite early on and the red eyes are showing, yeah. which I would mention at the beginning. That's it. He's told us within five minutes of the film starting exactly what's going on. Um, and and he's never really tried to fake us out on that. It's just we've allowed ourselves to be slightly diverted by other things. And... and But, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's... It's that kind of dark ending that very few Western films ever actually go for. Um, I'm thinking maybe The Mist is probably the, 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 the classic example of a Western film that that stays dark and goes even darker at the end, and I think that's what this film does.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you could obviously say The Mist. I mean, personally for myself, I never felt The Mist deserved, and the ending it went with. I would much prefer that it went with the alternative ending, which is like the the world of mist um and they it is like the the novella and just they driving off into the mist looking for like some form of salvation and i think just i've been here just like when you were saying that just try to wrap my brains the only one i can think of personally that was kind of like dark all the way through and that's reckoning for a dream but even that stuff light and it, it goes darker uh <laughs> goes it goes, goes, I, goes I don't know <laughs> Um, and then, and again, as I said, that is what—what what do we go with? Oh, like Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, because you know the bad guys are winning that one, uh, and everyone's kind of screwed from the beginning. But I did obviously question: like, was the shaman always in league with the devil, or was it? Um, so was it like a switching point, such so as like when his car's been pelted with all the moths? Um, was that when he was sort of like? Then in league with the devil, um, I just could never see when, why he would make all this effort to like perform the exorcism, especially when it's clearly shown as affecting uh, this Japanese stranger. Uh, this this sort of ceremony, the performance. You think, oh, it's you know, if they'd gone through a bit, it, it would have sold everything. Um, so the fact he was then ultimately seen as being in league with, uh, with, I suppose, the bad guy in this piece, uh, made me really sort of a little. I don't know. I just didn't, didn't particularly buy it. And
1: I well, it all depends. It, it. it all depends if you believe in what Young's saying, isn't it? I mean, her, your your belief in her, the the, the, the no name girl character. Um, if, you, if you believe in her and her story, then the, she's in league with you know the Sherman's in league with the devil, and blah blah blah. And 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 that's a, again, there's a bit of a uh, bit of. Christianity, and those' it? So you've got to wait till the cocks crowed three times before going back. I mean, that's just classic Christian Bible stuff. <laughs> so, so, so that that's the thing. Or so did did she make the moths come and drive the shaman back to town to give um, our hero a chance at rescuing his daughter? Or was that the demon bringing him back and actually taking him over? There's, 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 although, although I just say it was all straightforward, I think there are still lots of questions in there yeah. that um, which, which makes it eminently rewatchable. Well, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm not much clearer the second time round.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she just obviously drives him out of the village because he turns up in the village and he's then starts vomiting blood and bleeding from his ears and that's as a result of her. So she drives him away from the village, and he's then seen obviously <laughs> making for the coast or wherever, um, only to then get sort of drawn back uh, when he finds out that the, the, he's obviously going back to try and save his wife and his daughter, so. I don't know. It just, as I said, I I, I mean, I was confused when I was watching it. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on now. Um, the fact it's like two and a half hours long does put me off a little bit in Wanting to go back and revisit this one again to try and figure it out, so I've sort of pieced together best I can from like Wikipedia and various top theory pages. So
2: I, I do quite like a movie though that leaves <clears throat> questions because I think, uh, like you said, Stephen, it, it means that you can actually. Although, yeah, I do agree. It's um, you got to have the time for this one to to go back and revisit it, but I think it it's a good chance to revisit it because you're gonna. Maybe maybe you might not get all the answers to the questions, but it gives you something to think. And and I agree, there was a a few things that left me a bit confused, but I quite liked it because I think, I mean, I don't particularly like films that are super super ambiguous, and you're left and you're like, okay, I've I've got no idea. I feel like at least with the wailing, you've got a general idea of everything, but there's just small bits that are kind of like niggling questions that it's like, Oh, I would like to know that bit, but I think that's kind of a bit of the lore of the film.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is a bit artsy fartsy, isn't it? Let's not, let's not, you know, <laughs> let's not pretend it's incredibly mainstream and commercial. It was a huge success in Korea and obviously internationally, as far as Korean film can be successful internationally. But, um, I, I think I think you can. I think there's a straight line that I can see in there, and there's this, this lovely stuff going around. But it is, it's not a film that I would necessarily get people I work with to watch. It's not straightforward enough. It, you know, it, it needs not that the people I work with are not smart enough to work it out, but it's not a, it's not necessarily a, a film you give to a horror buff necessarily. Yeah that's yeah. um because it's not it's not following all the normal tropes and lines it makes you think about it it's talking about a lot of things that none of us understand <laughs> like religion and things like that or not that we don't understand religion but yeah. you know very a, a very specific from a Korean circumstance so I but I just think for me it's a game changer in Korean horror movies because I like a Korean horror movie but let's face it it's been a, it was been a rough few years until this and the uh, train to came out they were all very much the same you know oh there's a long-haired ghost girl and someone's done something wrong and oh oh look oh it's all about revenge or something like that and it was all very samey and this has just said actually i'm going to take this a denomi- a demonic possession story plonk it somewhere where you don't expect to see it and just make a real filmy film about it, not necessarily a genre piece.
0: Further viewing. I have no idea what to pair this with. So Stephen, did was there anything that you could pair this with at all?
1: So I've got two films, um, and one I've already mentioned. So in a in a sense of a similar sort of film but not as well done, is twenty seventeen's The Mimic, which has also come out obviously under the cover of The Wailing, which has got a sort of similar sort of idea in terms of shaman and things like that going on but it's very uh, and and it's using a a, some sort of mystic korean spirit that that takes over a child and a shaman you know it's an absolutely fine movie the problem is if the wailing hadn't come out it would have been a really good movie but it's it's hurt by that but the other movies as much the one i mentioned before is um, Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder uh, from 2003, which isn't a horror movie. It's uh, it's a film about an investigation of a serial killer, but it's the first one that really Korea had to deal with. It's sort of based on a true story. But if you want to see bumbling cops fuck it all up in rural <laughs> Korea in a very sort of similar sort of way to this, without any of the mysticism, um, please check out Memories of Murder, although that's going to be a pretty grim few hours if you watch The Wailing and Memories of Murder together.
0: Cool. Zoe, um, so, is so there anything you would have heard this with? Because I personally have nothing, so uh, if you, I don't know if you came up with anything at all.
2: The only two things that, well not two things maybe just the one that that would spring to mind maybe immediately but it's it's probably a lot more brutal and it's got far more action so maybe it could offset the long slow story of the wailing would probably be i saw the devil uh obviously it's uh, it's very different different kind of film um but i think uh in terms of uh a korean horror film i, I think it's a a very good movie and i put off watching it for a, a very very long time for some reason and then i watched it and i was like holy shit this is incredible <laughs> so i think it could be a nice offset you could watch the wailing to ease you in and then you could end with i saw the devil for to wake you up with a bit more of a punch
1: the wailing will leave you sad and then i saw the devil make it
0: really fucking grim <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's my kind of movie night. It's
0: <laughs> like <laughs> crying and <laughs> feeling bad about yourself,
2: hate in life.
0: <laughs> cool. Um, well, that brings us to another edition of the ASOIAF Unquote, and this has obviously, of course, been a Halloween special. Thank you to everyone who voted uh, the Whaling of our selection. Uh, we hope you're pleased with yourself. Um, <laughs> And uh, thank you, of course, to uh, Zoe for joining us this evening.
2: Thank you so much for having me, as always.
0: And uh, if people want to uh, come and meet your staff and uh, see what you're up to, where's the best place to find you?
2: Best place to find me um, for reading things about horrible, horrible films is um, com. Then I've also got um, a couple of new reviews and um, an article looking at cannibal holocaust over on um, that moment in which is obviously affiliated with this podcast so connected in some ways Um, and then obviously I will be launching my podcast soon if all goes well which hopefully it should
1: (laughs) is it going to be about horror movies Zoe
2: Actually, I think it's going to be about (laughs) rom-coms.
1: or Korean ones, like last time?
2: Korean rom-coms, yeah. (laughs) Where nothing really happens, but that's kind of my new thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've changed you. (laughs) Cool. Uh, On the next episode, um, it is, once again, my own pick, and we're going to be looking at the Netflix exclusive, The Night Comes for Us. Um, This is going to be one for the fans of The Raid, Um, or as it's from the uh, director of uh, Headshot, I believe. Um, This is already since it came out. This came out on Friday as of of this recording. And over the course of the weekend, it's probably become one of the most discussed and revered, just for the levels of brutality in it, uh, films that I've seen come out as a Netflix exclusive in a very long time. So... I'm very excited to see this, especially with the Raid 3 not happening uh, anytime soon. This is a very, very good stopgap. And uh, I'm going to be very interested to see what uh, you'll make of it, because, as I said, I thought I'd seen a team like the most violent martial arts movie ever with the story of Ricky O. And then, of course, I saw this one, and this was on a completely new level, just to sort of warn you in advance. So uh, enjoy that, Stephen.
1: <laughs> well, I like the Raid. So, um... And this has got Iko Uwais in in it, isn't it? So I I I'll, I'll we need to have some Indonesian films on here, so uh I'll I'll buy into it, but let's see what I think in a month's time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a lot of the same team that uh, obviously did the raid and obviously went to do things like headshot um as well. So this uh this film is absolutely just for in terms of the fight sequences, it's absolutely Stunning to see the the work that uh, goes to this, and I'm not going to ruin anything uh, now. But just uh, sort of as you all, if you have a Netflix account, definitely go and uh, check it out. It's uh, it's and uh, join us for the discussion next episode. But uh, thank you as always for listening, and uh, thank you to my co-host this evening, Zoe uh, from Subtle Shotgun.
2: Thank you so much for having me,
0: and of course, our very own Stephen Power. Thank you
1: for having me for the twin times running
0: (laughs) make it sound like we're not going to have you back next time
1: there will be a time when one of us isn't on this i know that and uh but i'll I'll outlast you damn it (laughs)
0: um but thank you as always for listening and uh we will see you next time to discuss the night comes for us
2: hey 昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの Sület,